welcome to the Abundant Yoga Teacher Podcast. My name's Amy McDonald. I'm a yoga teacher, yoga student, and a yoga business coach. And I'm here to support you to share your yoga with the people in your community who really need it. So if you're an amazing yoga teacher, but you sometimes struggle with the business part of what it is that you do, you're in the right place. I hope you thoroughly enjoy everything I've got in store for you. And if you have any suggestions, questions, or ideas for future podcasts, reach out to me on Instagram at Amy Yoga Biz Coach. Hey everybody, welcome to the Abundant Yoga Teacher Podcast for the week. Hope you had a smashing weekend. I did. Lots of yoga nerddom happened in my weekend, so that's always a good weekend. So today I have another story for you, and I in prepping for this story, it strikes me that um, it strikes me that uh, I'm wildly overrepresented for the most part in yoga. Here's what I mean: I'm able-bodied, I'm cisgendered, I'm white woman, middle class, right? I'm wildly overrepresented in yoga land. Who are the people who do yoga? Me. <laughs> but here's the thing. <laughs> While I may be overrepresented, I'm not the only version of person that does yoga. And um, and I thought today let's talk about, let's, t- let's tell some stories about someone who doesn't fit into that category. And in particular, I want to talk about someone who doesn't fit into the able-bodied category. And because I'm fairly certain that if you're still, bless you, persisting in listening to this podcast, uh, you teach some version of what we call and probably shouldn't yoga for all bodies. I.e., you want to come, come. Uh, you want to come and be a good person, be nice, you're welcome. Uh, I might recommend this class versus that one, but sure as shit, I want you to come along because yoga is awesome for everybody. Um, and And so we want to be inviting of all folks, right? So how do we do that? How do we make sure that when we're using stories as a device that we're looking for stories that represent all of us, not always defaulting to the norm or worse, always choosing not only just humans but superhumans, you know? I mean, I would love it if you some, some of those goddesses I was listening to <laughs> I was listening to as one does, the Mahabharata the other day. And I would talk, you know, it opens, I, I, I decided to restart it. And it opens with the, you know, whatever. But the, the, the particular uh, woman that uh, they're, they're talking about, one of the ways that not only is she, you know, all the things, but she, one of the reasons why she's so attractive to men is because she smells a certain way. Like she actually exudes this aroma that people find you know, they just can't, can't stop themselves. It's, she's just, she just, it just smells good all the time. Now, I mean, that's not a story I can relate to. <laughs> oh, I like the idea of it. Amy, you just always smell like a lotus, uh, but not true. So, you know, it's important that we look at stories in a way that can make people feel seen and heard and where we can use stories in ways that emphasize a particular point and 
one of the things I love about the Hindu pantheon is that there, it, because it is so full inherently, there are so many opportunities to look to folks who might be different, who might not be the same as us, who have some attribute that helps someone else in our class go, ah, finally, finally, it's someone who doesn't smell like goddamn lotuses all the time because I never got that. <laughs> And I've just done 90 minutes of hot yoga and I go and get my acai bowl on. I'm not smelling like a lotus. Where am I represented? <laughs> and obviously all the other categories. So today I want to talk about a very important uh, character in yoga uh, because this chap was not born able-bodied and in fact he was born with eight read them, read them, eight different uh, physical limitations. Can you say birth defects in 2020? I don't know, but that's what he had. So we're going to be talking about this guy uh, who is the namesake of the pose, and I find this ironic, Ashtavakrasana. I also want to just put a stake in the ground and say, let's decide that calling this pose Ashtavakrasana crooked sage pose it's not cool anymore. <laughs> it's named after a dude who was born with eight physical limitations. Do you think it's okay to call him the crooked sage in 2020? I don't think so. I don't think that's very nice. <laughs> I got a suggestion, which is actually just a breakdown of his name rather than a little bit of a judgy uh, interpretation, but we'll get to that later. So today we're talking about the namesake of Astavakrasana, the pose formerly known as Crooked Sage Pose. Uh, yeah, his name's Astavakra. That's his name. We're going to be talking about him. He has this great book. Um, <laughs> he has this great book, the Astavakra Gita, Song of Astavakra. Uh, and it's beautiful. And in fact, um, it came back into modern postural yoga vogue uh, through Sri Sri Ravi Shankar. Kind of liked it. And, uh, yeah, you can get it if you want to read it. It's pretty nice. Here's some bit of it. I'm not making any claims on the uh, skill of the translator here. I'm not a Sanskritist, so I'm referring to secondary sources. Don't know how good they are. I'll let you judge for yourself um, and find your own uh, translation and commentary, but here we go. A portion of what this very uh, smart chap had to say. He says, you are everywhere. You are free. If you think you are free, you are free. If you think you are bound, you are bound. Meditate on the self. One without two. Exalted awareness. Don't you just love that? I mean... This is from the if you're just joining us, this is from the Ashtavakra Gita, the Song of Ashtavakra, his text. Um, you're free. If you think you are free, you're free. If you think you are bound, you're bound. And we're talking obviously about the state of mind, not physical manifest reality, because some people aren't free. That's real. That's shit. Uh, in this instance, what we're talking about is awareness. So today I want to talk about uh, today I want to talk about this guy. Um, 
who he is, how he got to be the way he is, and how he did great things with his physical manifestation, what he did while he was here in that form, what he got done, and how we can use story to, um, at a bigger picture level, how we can use story to let folks know you're here, you're represented, we see you, we hear you. Not everybody has to have superpowers, look like Mohini and smell like lotus all the time. Astavakra. It actually means eight bends. Bends as in bent bends. Eight bends. Not like eight bends as in Mercedes. I don't think he had any of those, but I don't know. You'd have to you'd have to go to the original source. <laughs> Yeah, so he was born with eight physical limitations. And, um, and you know, there's not as many pictures of him around if you go Google him up. But if there is a predominant uh, image of him, the first sort of screenfall that you'll get on Google. And dude is rocking. Dude is rocking his physical limitations. I'm just going to say that. So who was he and why does it matter? Well, it turns out um, he was a very powerful sage. He was very learned in the teachings. He um, obviously he was a profound thinker and a conveyor of um, Vedic thought and and truisms. As as you know, he wrote his own Gita, and it's beautiful. Uh, and he came from a, a long lineage of such folks. His parents, both not just the dad, but also the mother. Yes, we also need to look for stories that are pro-woman. Uh, they they were also, um, you know, very devoted and had had their own strong practice. They knew the texts backwards and forwards, to, and they knew the importance of this. Right? They wanted to have. They wanted their son to follow in their path. They wanted their son to also uh, be be um, dharmic. And so, while he was still in utero they would recite to him the Vedas and teach him stuff. And because he was already set for greatness, because he was primed, genetics or otherwise, to be great, uh, he not only absorbed those teachings in utero, he also corresponded back. (laughs) I've never been pregnant. I don't intend to become pregnant, but I could only imagine that you don't want your fetus like tapping out morse from your uterus to just let you know that he's picking down, putting down, picking up what you're putting down, whatever that works. That would, I imagine, feel kind of nauseating. I don't know. I'm guessing. Anyway, he did. Um, so his dad, you know, very, very pious, very committed, uh, teaching him these, these scriptures uh, before he was even born, in the womb which is a phrase that I hate, but anyway, in utero. Uh, cool. And then one day, his dad's doing the thing, um, and and uh, Astavakra, uh, his dad misspoke. Remember that from the weekend? I did a bonus episode on the weekend of the perils of misspeaking at, the, <laughs> at exactly the wrong moment. His dad misspoke, and, um, and, Astavakra, and Astavakra, in utero, let him know. And his dad, because because he was so pious and so learned, it kind of pissed him off that a fetus was like, no, nah, I think he got that bit wrong. <laughs> you know, even though he he knew all of these things, he did still take it as somewhat of an affront to have a yet-to-be-born son, a few layers in there of um, power imbalance. 
tell him that he'd fucked it up. So rather than say, as you would hope to if you were a a, a parent-to-be, oh, yes, you're right, good on you, fetus baby, my bad, Uh, he cursed his own yet-to-be-born son how many times? It's in the name, folks. Ashta, eight, eight times. He did the fuck you, man, eight times to the degree that when Astavakra was born, yes, the eight curses showed up as eight different disabilities. Nice one, dad. Way to go. That sucks. That's some shitbag parenting right there. Yeah, we can all agree on that. But here's the thing. Uh, Asavakra, okay, sure, that sucks. Not just one curse, but one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight sucks. From your own dad. You think you've got a dad story. Anybody got daddy issues? Try that one on for size. <laughs> Astavakra wins. <laughs> My dad always came home like, uh, did he curse you with eight different disabilities on purpose? Yeah, he's got some daddy issues, Astavakra. But did he let them set him back? Hells no. Hell no. He continued to study. He continued to learn. He continued to be a scholar. He continued to be a practitioner. He's wrote his own song, his own devotional scripture. And he was such a good scholar, such a good practitioner, such a good sage that he in fact became one of the advisors of Janaka. And we got to love Janaka. We got to love Janaka for a bunch of reasons. Who is Janaka? Well, uh, you'll know Janaka from this. Uh, Ram Lakshman Janaki Jebolo Hanumanaki. Who is Janaka? Well, who is Janaki? Hint, Ram, Lakshman, Janaki. Rama, his brother, Lakshman. If you've been to Rishikesh, you've walked over the bridge. And who? Janaki. Guess, give you a guess. Uh, if it's Ram, Rama, and it's Lakshman, and there's one more person, who's that? That's right, it's Sita. Why is she called Janaki? Well, because Janaka was her dad. That's how it works. Uh, so, we like Janaka for one, because he was Janaki's dad, the father of Sita. Oh, Ram Lakshman Janaki, Jebolo Hanumanaki, um, all praise be, sing it, Hanuman. That's, you know, a bit that you do at the end when you're feeling the bar of, of the Hanuman Chalisa. Those three go together, Ram Lakshman Janaki, Ram Lakshman Sita, Sita Ram, etc. So we like Janaka because he's Sita's dad, and if we didn't have him, we wouldn't have the Ramayana. Can you imagine? How interesting is a story where there's a prince who doesn't fall in love, who doesn't get the princess, who doesn't lose a princess to win the princess back again, to take the princess home and something goes bad, but that's another thing. Diwali, all of it, none of it would happen if it wasn't for Janaka. So we like him. But here's why he not only was um, Asavakra Janaki's Janaka's advisor, awesome, he was also involved in this very, very important point about Janaka because Janaka was a king, but he was more than just any old king. In addition to being a king, he was also an enlightened 
being, right? Imagine that. Again, I know I'm harping on it, but if you think about our current political climate, whether you live in the US or the UK or Australia or the Philippines or India, we could all do with a leader who was enlightened. Yes? Jay, yes. So he was a great king because he was enlightened. He had had the moment, gone through, happened, shaktipat, pop, done, and he came back. This is Bodhisattva. Uh, did Decided to hang around and do good with the powers that he had. How did he become enlightened? Hmm, funny you should ask. So uh, he met Astavakra. They had a good chat. Um, and Astavakra said, you know, you should, you know, we should do this more often. We should hang out. That was fun. Uh, come over sometime. And Janika's like, all right, well, why not? So, um, so they decided to hook up in the forest, which is where Astavakra lived. And, uh, and so you can imagine he wasn't enlightened at this point. So he's a, he's a king. He's a good king, but he's still just a mortal guy, not enlightened. Gets his posse because you don't just do nothing for nothing. If you're a king, you have an entourage. Maybe this is where the 12 bends, 8 bends comes in. <laughs> Driving through the forest in a motorcade. No, they're on horses. But anyway, there's a lot. There's a lot of fancy king stuff going on. Um, and and uh, Ashtavakra, being a sage in the forest, didn't get around much. Wasn't exactly ripped. You got, you know, 8 situations with your physical body. You're not going to be like going to CrossFit. So he's, you know, just fairly, uh, I don't know, you know, it doesn't take up a whole lot of, it doesn't have a strong physical presence. Hidden out in the jungle, not wearing much loincloth, whatever, doing his, doing his holy man thing. He doesn't want the whole goddamn motorcade turning up at his house. He's trying to live on, on the down low. He's just trying to you know, stay in tune with God, read the scripture, write some stuff, do some commentary, give some sage advice when asked for it. But otherwise, he's not into a whole lot of pomp and splendor. So through a series of circumstances, Janaka gets separated from his posse. Excellent. Nothing happens for nothing in these stories. And, of course, as he's riding alone in the forest on his horse, he comes across, wouldn't you know it, Astavakra sat there in the forest ready for them to have this discourse, ready for the transmission, ready to teach the king something. And so um, Janaka, think, you know, he sees the dude there. He's like, ah, there you are. Well, I guess it doesn't matter. I've lost the rest of the motorcade. Um let's just get this done. It's good to see you, man. You know, uh, I'll get down off my horse and, and, and I want to learn from you. You, you're a wise man and I'm a good King and I, and I want to serve my people well. So I'll dismount and, and let's get this party started. Except as he tried to step down from his horse, he got his foot stuck and he was kind of hanging there awkwardly in space. Now, depending on who you ask, that might have been a few minutes. It might have been a few years. But all of this, 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 uh, in, you know, this powerful ruler of the kingdom suddenly found himself alone in the company of this strange sage, halfway stuck between being astride his horse and being 
ass first on the ground. Awkward, powerless. And like I said, either for a long time or a short time, but for him the experience was that moment of recognizing that he was completely powerless. Didn't matter who he was. Didn't matter that he had all of these riches and wives and the entourage and the power. In that moment, with in the company of that particular wise man, he was completely powerless. He could do nothing. And it was at that moment that he received enlightenment. In that moment of surrendering to that powerlessness, of not actually being fully in control and of being equal with all others, but done, moksha, samadhi. But the good samadhi, the samadhi where you stuck around, yes, this is why Janaka was such a great king because he stuck around. He didn't drop the body and become, you know, head back to whatever you want to call it, Godhead. No, he stayed around. He stayed around. He took that power of liberation and used it in becoming an even better king. How did he have that transformation? He had that transformation because he was in the presence of a great sage. Because through the teachings that he had experienced and explored from this great sage, he was primed. You know, the fruit was ripe for that to happen. And so it did. And so it did. I want to read a little bit from, this is a great book. If you're anybody who's looking for, um, I don't know, like a, a different take on the Ramayana, this is, I'm going to read from um, Sita, which is um, an illustrated retelling of the Ramayana by Devdutt Padanek. I rave a, long, a lot about Devdutt. Um, I encountered his books for the first time while I was in India and stuffed my suitcase full of them. Uh, he's a great teacher. You can get his books, you know, on the things, on the place. Not all of them. Some of them you can only get in India or ordered from India. Uh, and as well as being a great mythologist, Devdad is also, um, you know, he's, a, he's, he's a very super smart guy. I interviewed him a while back on the podcast. You can go search in my podcast and get that. Get that. He's also an illustrator and he does these really great line drawings. So anyway, this uh, book that I'm going to read from, it's a retelling of the Ramayana from Sita's perspective. Um, and it's sort of the, at least the version that I have, uh, if you've got a copy of The Artist's Way, you'll know what I mean. It's a slightly larger sized book and, um, and it's got big margins. So it's great to, it's great to read and you can, you can jot notes on the side and the images that his illustrations are just fab. I love them. So I thought this was kind of nice. Yeah, and this is also for for those of you um, who who ask me, Amy, where do you get your stories from? Here we go. Here's one, uh, Sita by Devdutt Padanayak, an illustrated retelling of the Ramayana. Sita attended the conference with her father, at first clinging onto his shoulders, then seated in his lap, and then finally following him around, observing him engage with hundreds of sages, amongst them Asavakra. When Astavaka was still in his mother's womb, he had corrected his father's understanding of the Vedas. Infuriated, his father had cursed him to be born with eight bends in his body, hence his name, one who has eight deformities. Without realising it, I threatened my father, Astavaka said to Janaka. Animals fight to defend their bodies. 
humans curse to defend their imagination of themselves. Check that. How good's that? Humans curse to defend their imagination of themselves. This imagined notion of who we are and how others are supposed to see us is called aham. Aham constantly seeks validation from the external world. When that is not forthcoming, it becomes insecure. Aham makes humans accumulate things through things we hope people will look upon us as we imagine ourselves. That's why, Janika, people display their wealth and their knowledge and their power. Aham yearns to be seen. Wise man, right? Wise man. So here, I mean, even just in this little one paragraph from Devdath's book, so much in here. So we know, um, here's, a, here's a few things that we can take from it. Uh, Janika, the king, the wise king, takes his daughter to a conference of smart people. She's exposed to brainy things. He's not like, damn girl, you're staying at home. Do the laundry. Nope, he takes her. He, <clears throat> he takes her to this environment where she can learn from wise people. He's available to be a student himself, even though he's the king. He's learning from this guy. Um, I love that Ashtavakra is owning his stuff. Look at me, dude. This is what happened. Here's my story. I've done my work on it, and this is where I'm at, and I'm rocking. I'm rocking my eight Ben's body. Thank you very much. I haven't got any energy on it. This is just who I am, and I had some dad stuff <laughs> because he was a bastard, and I've worked it out. And from this place, here's what I got. I learned this stuff. I learned that. My dad did this to me because he's a human and humans have this tendency to defend themselves when they feel threatened. That's what happened. And now I'm teaching people that that's not the way that you, that not the only way that you get to do it, that you get to do it in other ways, better ways. And in sharing his story of adversity with Janika, right, when he shares his story of adversity and overcoming with Janika, Janika not only gets to teach this lesson to his daughter, who then goes on to be quite an influential figure, you could, you could, you could make a case, not only that, but he also takes those teachings in for himself. How many things can you pick out of this tiny little portion to turn into life teachings for yourself, business teachings, class workshop teachings, incredibly powerful. You could teach a whole weekend workshop on owning and sharing your story for the betterment of yourself and others. I know there are a bunch of you who listen to this who teach creative writing. Imagine that, like what is the moral in your own story? How can you turn your... Um, you know, how can you, I remember Anna Forrest saying to me once, how can you turn your shit into fertilizer? How can you turn what you might think as incredible hardship or trauma? This is trauma. And, and what is, what is it going to take to alchemize that into something that could be in service? Now, I'm not saying you can do that with everything or that we should all like look on the bright side. No, I'm not looking to undermine or devalue anybody's process. Of course, we all get to be where we're at. But what a powerful teaching, right? 
And what a powerful teaching that this is a this is a disabled person significantly teaching a king. Again, here is the and we're taking this as an allegory, not you know, that this is this is this is mythology. We're applying it. It doesn't matter who you are. If you have something powerful to say, there are people that will want to hear it from you. And then again, here in, in Devdutt's interpretation, in Devdutt's retelling of the story, that um, th this imagined notion of who we are, humans curse to defend their imagination of themselves, this imagined notion of who we are and how others are supposed to see us. What would happen if we all loosened up a little bit about that? Can you even imagine? Ooh, interesting. What if I'm not this thing that in my imagination I am? What would that look like? What would be possible for me? How could I put down this mask and be available to something else? Who would I become in the process? What freedom would I experience for myself if I just eased up a little on holding on to this construct that I'm kind of hiding behind? Anybody get a bit of that? No, Amy, I've got no idea. Amy, I've got no idea what you're talking about. I was, um, I'm having a situation in my personal life at the moment and I had a friend come over yesterday who stayed at the right distance and all of those good things. Yes, yes, we are still in lockdown, semi here. So, <laughs> and I had a situation come up over the past couple of weeks that had really rattled me about this interaction with with another person, and I, I just hadn't been able to come to a, a conclusion. I thought I'd sort of come to a well, what's the right thing to do here, Amy? And I was talking about it with my friend. I needed some mirroring I needed someone to just let me know if I was on the right path because I'd chewed it over and chewed it over and chewed it over and I still hadn't quite hadn't quite hammered it out and I said to him do you think this is the right thing to do like does this if you were me what would you do and you know good friends right good a good friend is a good friend first of all he said well I'm not you so I don't know what you would do okay great good point and then he said and then he said I love this and then he said well it depends if you were prepared to not, if you were prepared to get off your high horse, then maybe what you're proposing is a good outcome. Ooh, <laughs> busted, got me. I have spent sleepless nights. I have spent pages and pages of my journal. I have listened to, you know, satsangs and dharma talks and all of it. I have consulted the Indra's Magic 8-Ball online. All the tools is what I'm saying. And I thought, I'm a yogi, I'm a, I've got a, I've got a, I'm a coach, I'm a, you know, I've done the work, I'm a, I think I've got this. What do you think, friend? And he's like, well, if you're prepared to get off your high horse, fuck. Okay, looks like I had this imagination, this imagined version of myself that was very grounded and clear thinking on this particular matter. Turns out, not so. And as soon as he said that, it was like, oh, okay, good point. All right, if I drop that, what will I do now? And the whole process became a hell of a lot easier because I, I wasn't, not only was I not attached anymore to this version of myself, 
But because of my friend unlocking that for me, I didn't I didn't even know that I was doing that. You know, I thought I was coming at it from my most grounded, open-hearted place until he went, hey, Amy, look at this. Oh, oh, there's more. There's more to surrender here. And then you know, straight away, as soon as he said that, and I had to chuckle because, like I said, a good friend is a good friend and you can't always see it all for yourself, right? As soon as he said that, ah, insight, pratibha. I know exactly what to do now. My intuition says, here's your path. Just you just got to loosen up on it, Amy. You know, you, you thought you were making a good dharmic choice, but maybe you were just holding on too tight and being stubborn. Yeah, all right, so if we let go of that version of you, I'm a good yogi, I'm holding on tight to dharma. No, you're being stubborn, bitch. Oh, good point. Okay, so if I let go of that, now what? Now what decision? Now what next step? Let's drop back into what my intuition tells me. Ah, here's the answer. Doesn't require sleepless nights, doesn't require journaling, doesn't require therapy, doesn't require Indra's magic eight ball. It just requires this easeful, obvious next step solved. So again, this great teaching that what, that that only Astavakra can teach us so powerfully because he completely suffered from it and overcame and thrived, but in the moment he suffered from it significantly when his father felt uh, tested, challenged, threatened. He, he cursed his own unborn son with these eight bends. But what would happen if we weren't as attached to that imagined version of ourselves? What would have happened, like I said earlier, what would have happened if Ashtavakra's dad just went, oh, yeah, good pickup. Where was I? Oh, yeah, let's keep going. That's how easy it gets to be when we drop the attachment to the, you know, this really hard uh, version of ourselves. Cool, right? Here's a whole other thing. You could teach a five-day challenge on this. You could teach a whole retreat on just this topic. Just this topic. So today, like I said, we're doing lots of stories right now. Uh, and today I wanted to pick somebody who's not your average yoga celebrity in the pantheon. He's not flying through space. He doesn't smell like lotuses. He doesn't have all the wives. He's not hot as fuck. He's none of those things. Not all powerful. He's a, he's a dude who worked his ass off to get smart. He was such a good student. He was studying in utero. And he only ever had good intentions. He was trying to have a chat which turned out to be a curse. No, sorry, I misspoke. Eight curses. Eight curses. Eight curses. That's bad. You think you're having a bad day? Imagine if your dad said, you know what, able-bodied, not for you. Uh, I'm going to compound this times eight. So he dealt with it. Dealt with it. Kept studying. To the point where he was so good at what he did, he was so trustworthy as a source of wisdom that not only did he go on to become one of the key advisors to the king, he was present when that very important and special king became enlightened. I mean, 
I mean, how's that? What a great character to learn from. Astavakra. Love it. Love it. Um, he's, here we go. Uh, according to Sadhguru, Astavakra had the, he said, Sadhguru says, the, so the child was born physically deformed. His feet, his hands, his knees, his chest, his neck were all bent. I mean, come on now. You know what I find so ironic about this? If you think about the pose Astavakra, Astavakrasana, I mean, if you had that, if you if your feet, hands, knees, chest, and neck, I mean, I've only got wrists right now that don't work, which means I can't do Astavakrasana. But imagine if you had all of those. Does it, does it suck that, like, <laughs> the pose that they name after you is one that you're probably never going to be able to do? That's shit. Anyway. So today we're talking about Astavakra. We're deciding that Astavakrasana shouldn't be called Crooked Sage anymore because imagine if someone turned up to your class who was really smart but, I don't know, had cerebral palsy or something. You wouldn't be like, hey, Crooked Ben, welcome to class. <laughs> Not cool anymore. Let's, uh, let's rename that. Some teachings that we can take from this couple of cute little short stories. One, let's not get stuck in the physical of yoga. Let's not get stuck in the asana. The very namesake of Astavakrasana could never do that pose. Did it impact on his ability to be an incredibly motivating, inspiring and powerful yogi? No one second. Not one second. Sometimes, yes, it's about yoga asana. And, they, and yoga asana are great for so many things. But sometimes, fuck asana. Fuck asana. You can do yoga however you show up. I, mean, I don't know. You might not even need to have cognitive function. And if someone could chant to you, someone could repeat a mantra to you, someone could sense a metta to you, and you can benefit from yoga. So let's just, you know, yoga is for everybody and all of it. Bodies that aren't complete bodies. All the things, all the bits, all the broken stuff, all the damaged, internal, out, external, who cares? Yes, yoga is for you. And I know that so many of you listening will be like on board with me about let's raise the voice of people who know that yoga is not simply asana. And let's let more people know that yoga is not simply asana. You don't have to have a certain type of body to do yoga. You can just come sit here. You can just listen to my story. You can just come into my class and take Shavasana the whole goddamn time. You can just come into my class and who even cares? You can chant Kirtan in a chair. You can do meditation in your goddamn wheelchair. You don't. Who cares? Just come. Yoga is not about asana and let's refocus on the breadth and not simply the narrow representation of asana. Next, another teaching that we can draw here from Astavakra, and I think this one applies beautifully to our, our mindset in business, that you can overcome your shit. That's a, some pretty serious adversity. I mean, like the psychological, the emotional, let alone the physical trauma to have your dad curse you to that type of embodiment. And he overcame it. You can overcome stuff in your business. Give yourself some perspective. You know, 
If you've been crying at the computer over the weekend because you couldn't figure out how to install a PayPal button, did you have a bent neck, hands, feet, chest, back? Then stop it. You'll <laughs> figure it out. We can always overcome. There is always, always a workaround. How can I do this differently? What do I need to get in here to support me? We can all overcome adversity. And then again, in terms of how we teach our classes and how we use story in class, let's, um, let's remember that we need to be mindful about storytelling being representative of everybody. And they're in there. They are absolutely in there. There are trans stories in yoga. There are queer stories in yoga. There, I mean, look at Hanuman, Anjaneya, physical injury, right? Facial defect. That happened. We need everybody to know that you're welcome here at yoga. You know, I, I, um, I teach at a festival every year and there's, there's a woman who comes. She comes every year. She always comes to my classes. She has a rocking strong asana practice. Um, and I've only ever taught her at that festival, which means I've only taught her, you know, once a year for an hour. And I know she shared with me that the, actually the first time we met, she was kind of tetchy with me and I was reshuffling the room as I want to do. And I said, could you just move your mat over there? And she got kind of snippy with me about, no, and I thought, okay, well, guess you're having a bad day, whatever, leave your mat there. Anyway, after class, she obviously, this is the first time we met, she obviously liked the class and she had a great practice and she was into it, but she came up after, afterwards and she apologized and she said she was sorry that she snapped at me. But the thing is, she's got an acquired brain injury and ever since she had that accident, her balance is a bit shit and particularly on one side. And so she needs to have her mat at that particular wall so that she can put that particular hand on the wall sometimes, otherwise she's going to fall over. Great, I said. Good to know. I thought you were just cracking the shits with me. We had a bit of a laugh. Next year, I remember her. She shows up. She's walking a bit better. I'm like, hey, you're looking good. She's like, yeah, I'm coming good. And I said, well, you better put your mat over there. So, you know, just in case. She's like, cool, thanks. The third year she comes along, I'm like, hey, look at you. You're looking even like less wobbly. And she says, yep, the healing's coming along. I'm, I'm getting even better. And I said, well, I, 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 I stuck my mat over there to save you a place. And she said to me, you know what? I don't need it anymore. How cool is that? And this is the thing, right? Like it's not, I don't know what it's like to have a brain injury and touch wood, I don't want to find out. I don't know what it's like to live in Astavakra's body. I remember I used to teach this group of women, um, you know, they were, let's say, bigger bodied, like really bigger. I've, I've been a bit, I'm not going to lie, a bit heavy, uh, but I've never been that big. I don't know what that's like. I don't but here's the thing, I think we can avoid engaging with people because of their difference, right? And and when we do that, it just makes people see feel even less seen and heard. I don't know what it's like to have a brain injury. I'm going to try and talk to this woman in a way that's respectful and insightful, but I might fuck it up because I don't know. But when we talk to each other about this stuff, when we see that it's okay to be us in class then it gets to be okay to be us in class. I remember being in a class with my teacher in Bangkok and the room was full of Thais and Indonesians. So let's start by saying in that environment, 
I'm noticeably massive in all dimensions compared to everybody else in the room. Uh, I'm also whitey white white, which means my pelvis doesn't do the things that if you're Thai or you're Indonesian, chances are, uh, you know, I remember doing like soup, to, I talk about this often, we're doing soup to pattern, soup to pattern gustasana. I don't know what you call that, like lying on your back with your leg up with a strap around your foot, taking your leg out to the side, right? And every time I do this pose, I have a kriya burst into tears. I can keep it quiet now, but my hips are so tight and there's so much shit stored up in there that every time I, even thinking about it, I have like muscle memory. Every time that pose happens, I lose my shit and I get my leg to about, I don't know, if I'm lying on my back and it's my right leg, maybe on a good day, I get my leg to about 2.30 from noon. And so I'm doing my thing. I'm the sweatiest, obviously, because I don't live, it's very dry. Australia, second driest continent after Antarctica. You put me in Bangkok without an AC, I'm a hot mess. I'm twice the size of everybody in the room and we're doing super particle. Okay, great. So I'm there, sweat, hot, red mess, crying, disgusting, whatever. And the woman next to me, God. I can't remember her name, but we've taken classes together over the years. We're doing – okay, so now I've done the right side. Amy, like, cranks, ratchets her femur out to about 2.30. Change sides. This woman's wearing yellow. She looks like she's just fucking stepped off the cover of, you know, yoga journal. Left side, all right, so I'm ratcheting my leg, trying to keep my shit, tone my abs, like, you know, do all the things. Breathe. Be present. You you know, you're you're – you're also divine consciousness, you sweaty bitch. <laughs> the woman next to me, no shit, she just plops her ankle, her whole leg just falls open to the left. And I find in that moment that her ankle is on my right nipple. Her left ankle is right there on my right nipple. <laughs> and I remember thinking in that moment, well, shit. <laughs> like, she was really embarrassed and I'm just thinking, damn, are you kidding? I just wish I had that range of motion in my pelvis. You know, I don't know what it's like to have that body. I don't know what it's like to have another body. But when we all just get to show up and be there, I've been in classes where I am the least or the most or the whatever. It's the whitest, the fattest, the tallest, the reddest, the most stiff. Okay. I'm grateful for that because then when someone comes to my class and says, you know what, I need to touch the wall because I had a brain injury and if I don't, I'm going to fall over. I never would have thought of that. I don't know about that. But she came to my class and she told me that. And I, you know what, now I get to be a better teacher. But we need to make sure that people know that they're welcome. I'm so grateful that that woman turned up to my class and said, I want to do your class, but that I need that spot. And I don't care how militant you're going to be about the mats. I'm not moving my mat because this is my place. Okay. Astavakra. Yes. Let's see. Let's let's make sure that when we choose stories, we're picking ones that people see themselves. And it doesn't necessarily mean that this is a story of somebody who doesn't identify as able-bodied. Okay, it could be taken at that, you know, really uh, obvious level. But maybe it gets to be a story about overcoming your history, overcoming your family story. Maybe it just gets to be about proving that despite this particular adversity, whatever that looks like for you, you overcame it and you're welcome here. Yes, you can do your thing and we can modify for you because we want you to be here in the room with us. See, 
how cool are stories? If I haven't convinced you yet, hopefully today's might. Astavakra, cursed by his own dad, went on to not only become the advisor of kings, but a facilitator in the enlightenment of Sita's dad. And that led to a whole lot of other very cool stuff. But we've come to the end of the podcast for this week. So more stories coming up next week. But I tell you, if you haven't signed up yet, you need to get your ass into yoga and story. Like how powerful is this stuff on so many levels? You want to do more of this? Come hang out with me. Yoga and story. It's my new six week. Never taught it before. Very excited about it. Six week training program. Uh, starts in the middle of October. You've got two weeks to get yourself signed up. Um, well, we're going to do this. We're going to, I'm going to tell you a story every week and then each week we'll have a conversation. We'll unpack it. We'll overlay philosophy. We'll overlay application. We'll pull apart the myth and look at it from different angles in conversation so that you too can feel confident to incorporate storytelling into your offerings or maybe just learn some new stories if you already do this. Uh, or maybe you want to explore more of my references and where I get my material from. Maybe you simply enjoy the uh, reflective opportunity that storytelling provides to you in your own practice. Go check out the page, see if it's right for you, amymcdonald.com.au forward slash story. The link is also in the episode notes. It really is going to be an incredible six weeks. I'm going to just have so much fun and I want you to have so much fun too. So go get yourself signed up, amymcdonald.com.au forward slash story. Thanks to our character of the moment, Astavakra, for being an awesome dude. And uh, yeah, DM me on Instagram. What could we say if you teach your yoga asana in English, if you call them English names? What do you think? Can we not say Crooked Sage anymore? It just feels a bit, um, I don't know, like 400 BC. <laughs> What would be a more empowered name? I don't know. Mark? I don't know. Let me know. Amy Yoga Biz Coach. Take care, everybody. Till next time. Bye. So there you have it, folks. Another edition of the Abundant Yoga Teacher Podcast. Hey, favor to ask. If you found the content useful, I would be very grateful if you could support this podcast by giving me a five-star rating. And if you've got a moment, a review would be super cool. No pressure. Of course. Like I said earlier, if you have any suggestions for podcast topics in the future, I would love to be in service. DM me on Instagram at Amy Yoga Biz Coach. Take deep care.